Alright people, welcome to the Bizzles commentary on Jessica Jones, the Netflix series, which was meant to be a one-off series of 12 or 13 episodes, and has now been renewed, and may go indefinitely into the future. I had no idea who Jessica Jones was, for the most part, before Netflix announced its slate of The Guardians, uh street-level superheroes based in New York. I definitely knew Daredevil, uh, mostly from the failed movie experiment with Ben Affleck, but also that it was a great uh, Marvel, you know, <laughs> uh, comic, somewhat rip-off of Batman in the Marvel mold, but just as dark and just as street-level. Music to the Jessica Jones. I don't know where they came up with this thing. It sounds like cheesy PI music, and all of a sudden you got electric guitars, ripping guitar solos, seeing the big names from Marvel. Here it is. Boom. Melissa Rosenberg, based on Brian Michael Bendis, one of the key members of the renaissance of Marvel Comics, both on the page and on screen in the last 15 years. I had watched a couple episodes of Daredevil, but when I saw that they were doing a Jessica Jones, all I needed to hear was Kristen Ritter, who was absolutely spectacular in Breaking Bad and her small but very important and affecting role in season two of Breaking Bad. She was really the catalyst, actually, of you know Jesse and Walt just doing bad things to you know really entering into evil territory with the things that they did. And she has a drinking problem in this, as we know. Uh, it's one of her flaws, but also one of her lovable characteristics. Here she is spying on people having affairs with each other in dirty places of New York, which I'm sure happens all the time. And the, you know, kind of film noir, you know, narration of the P.I. Uh, during this series is extremely effective. They use it more in the beginning than towards the end. Because eventually you're just following the characters. You don't need it. But it pulls you right into the story. And here she goes with one of her clients, Alias. You, you got the window there. You can see it's new. Oh, no. She just broke her new window. It's great. They're very restrained on JJ superpowers uh, in this series. But... <laughs> yeah, you could just... You know, Jane in... Um, you know, the character of Jane Margulies in season two of Breaking Bad very much hints at a character like this. They basically took that character and they said, okay, she's still fucked up in the head, but she's got her brain together enough to keep a life going and to have a real profession. And she's got superpowers, which she has only someone under control. Great teasing of Trish early on. <laughs> you think she's going to be, you know, this horrible, you know, annoying Martha Stewart-like personality, and that is not the case. Here we go. One of numerous relationships you're not sure why she establishes early on, only to pay off much later in the series. I love Carrie Moss. You know, is she cursed for being Trinity? You know, it can't punish someone for that. She's unbelievable, one of the great female action stars ever, and for her to be sort of, you know, sort of silently handing off the baton here to Kristen Ritter, I think, is not a coincidence. It's about professionalism, right? She doesn't care that she's drunk or late or sloppy. It's just the overall 
professionalism. Here we go. Up. Oh. Mm. Carrie Ann Moss knows her superpowers. And one of the great things about Jessica Jones, she's a street-level superhero that's not in the Avengers, but does not keep her power secret <laughs> because she's not scared of anybody. Dares people to come after her. And it bites her in the ass later on in the series, but... Oh, this was great. An exotic dancer fell off the stage for a loose pole and is suing for mother. <laughs> right, she's repping the dancer. Jessica Jones knows this is bullshit. The poor brain, brain damaged dancer. She's just stunning. You know, it's hard to compare. Her lips are ridiculous. Yeah, my mom had a problem getting over her lips. Doesn't bother me. Her sort of gothy look with the pale skin and the black hair. And the prominent facial feature is totally a turn on. Now here's she. This is great. Not only is she lying on a phone call to to solve a mystery, but she's peeing. And I think she runs out of toilet paper here. I mean, that's the thing. This is one of the best pilots of any show ever. Completely sells the main character and all the supporting characters. Right, this is great to get the information she acts like. She's going to get punished by the bosses. So this other, you know, secretary, whoever, gives up the information. Members only. That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> you know. Shit. <laughs> no toilet paper. It's great. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I'm not in this industry. I sometimes think I should be, just out of interest. I knew the show was going to be great. I don't know why, you know. And watching, uh, or rewatching Breaking Bad recently, she's not in as much as season two as I remember, but it's such an affecting um, role in performance, you know, that she owns that season. I mean, you talk about season two of Breaking Bad, you know. What is the standout thing other than just the normal... You know, Mr. White, uh, Jesse, things going on. It's her. And here it is. She's tormented in Breaking Bad. We just think she's a junkie, although she's very smart. And Jesse, you know, makes her a junkie again, which t torments him through to the end of the series. Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. But here we really see why she screwed up. And it's great. She's a total alcoholic. She's a super high tolerance. It's like Thor, you know, in a drinking game. She can drink anyone under the table, even though she weighs, you know, 110 pounds or whatever it is. So here's Luke Cage's bar, and this is the beginning of the romance, which isn't a romance. Oh, there she goes. Jumps. Some superpowers. They don't even show it. You know, why waste money on special effects? You just do it. You just jump up. She probably only sleeps a few hours a night. And this is what she does. She takes pictures of people. She's good at it. It's a good use of her superpowers for a financial standpoint. Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah. This large woman on the exercise machine. And two minutes on the treadmill, 20 minutes on a quarter pounder. Uh... She's so condescending. She hates everyone, but because she hates herself the most and openly hates herself the most, people still love her.
<laughs> Some guy smelling his shoe. You don't see stuff like this in Marvel. I mean, Daredevil hinted at the darkness from like a bloody standpoint, but from a psychological standpoint, Jessica Jones is way darker. Way, 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 way darker than Daredevil. Um, that might change with Daredevil Season 2. But she's photographing Luke Cage in his lover hair. I'm not sure this is ever completely explained. Who gives her the job to do this? We know Carrie Ann Moss just gave her a job to serve a summons, which we're going to see soon. But this particular job is left open. I think it's hinted that Kilgrave is behind this. In terms of her former connection with Luke and Kilgrave being able to use Luke as a way to manipulate and, you know, cause pain for Jessica later on, I think is the implication. Yeah. But God bless the writers and directors of all this shit. You know, to make it feel seamless, you don't need all the answers, you don't need e exposition. So Luke lives above the bar. Later on in the season, when the bar burns down, he talks about, oh, I'm not connected to the bar at all. No one will know that it was me involved in, you know, the bar exploding or whatever. But he lives above it. He can sense something. Okay, so Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage, I knew he was getting his own series way before I saw this series. I knew it was third, that JJ would be second. Here she goes, JJ. Here it is. This is what sells the whole series. Right... You want to you want to do it, you know you do. And I think later on in this episode, she revisits that nightmare with Kilgrave raping her, licking her face or something like that, which is really disturbing as an actress, even if you you know, even if you trust the other actor. She's naming street names here. We learn later that these street names are <laughs> a, a trick that the therapist told her to think about her sort of innocent, you know, childhood life before all this happened. And talk about the streets, and that would take her mind off of it. There's Luke Cage. She can't help watching. We already can tell she's a super flawed character. You know, I mean, you know, Charlie Cox playing Matt Murdock, aka Daredevil, is flawed in the sense of being incredibly self righteous and thinking that he can, you know, solve the world's problems or solve the city's problems because of his heroism, almost like a messiah figure. She's coming from the other end. She doesn't think she's capable of good. Doesn't even try. <laughs> and this is it. This shot right here. They showed this at one of the teasers of her just drunk and drooling on her bed. They take one look at Kristen Ritter and you're going, okay, this is the perfect casting. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. You know, who the, who this character is, but Kristen Ritter already is a superhero. It's amazing. She's destroying her ceiling. And you think it's a married couple upstairs, and you realize it's a bunch of weirdo twins. It makes that much better. You know, and this is the thing. This is what Daredevil doesn't have. You know, she has relationships with people in her building, and they're all totally weird, and it all gets tied up in her storyline. Her phone didn't charge... So what's great is, I don't know if it's the iPhone Plus, the 5.5-inch screen, or an Android phone. It's not clear at times, but she has the biggest, you know, <laughs> you know, the largest screen phone you could possibly get with her tiny little self. Uh, great imagery for 2015. It actually causes problems later <laughs> when it, like, rings when it's not supposed to. Yeah, she's, uh... She's something, Kristen Ritter, I'll tell you. 
You know, I, I tell I, I tell people my <laughs> one of the great parts of the show, Malcolm. You have no idea what his trajectory is going to be. He's so important in so many ways. You think he's just a crackhead, and they set him up. I mean, you can already tell he's a really good-looking guy, which makes the, you know, drug abuse a little bit easier to swallow, I suppose. Oh, here we go. Right into the Hope Schlotman story. My phone's been acting up. These guys are great. Middle of the country. (laughs) They don't judge the drug addict. The crackhead. Barbara Schlotman. Oh, boy. Hope Schlotman. One of the best inside us parts of this series, this first season. She's fascinated. Our, Jessica already has a sense. <laughs> right, here we go. Track, 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 track. Yeah. Jessica's already starting to smell co-grave. She knows this is the kind of behavior that happens to normal or semi-normal women when they come in contact with a guy like that. This is great. He he can't even deal with the issue at hand, his daughter being kidnapped. He tried to fix her door. You know, he really thinks Jessica's vulnerable. And who can blame him? You look at her, you go, oh man, this girl should be able to lock her door. She doesn't give two shits. This is the most human and relatable of all the Marvel properties so far. TV, uh, network, Netflix, big screen. She's got some Elmer's wood glue. <laughs> just, just getting to shut up. <laughs> it's like the nicest she dressed too. The whole series It's great. She's she's putting on a front. I charge hourly plus expenses. Oh man, she's such a badass. Y'all know, if you people have been listening to the BizzleCast for a while, that I love young, you know, beautiful, badass chicks who aren't beautiful just because they're beautiful, but because of their attitude, their fuck you attitude, taking names, you know, taking care of themselves, take care of the job, whether it's Starbucks and Battlestar, Jessica Jones, Black Widow, the Scarlet Witch. I love it. I love it. And we're getting more and more of it. But Jessica had the... Uh, oh, there's Hope. Oh, she's so cute. Um, but Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones had 12 or 13 episodes to really explore this character, you know? And, you know, God bless Scarlett Johansson for making uh, the Black Widow, um, or Black Widow, I should say, you know, a multidimensional and very compelling character of a number of Avengers and Cat movies, but she has another own property. There's not nearly this much time on stage. We really see Jessica develop over this series. In a way, <laughs> she just breaks the door. In a way that we have, oh, this is great coming up with the camera. Um, you know, Jessica. <laughs> An experimental timeless film. I couldn't stop thinking of boyhood during this whole thing. I think they're making fun of boyhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's pissed at hope. Coppola. <laughs> this kid is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Mercy killing. Yeah. 
everything's slightly over the top, but everyone's so comfortable with each other. With the color palette and the very restrained but artistic uh, direction to the photography. I think um, JJ is going to go at least as long as Daredevil, you know? I love Daredevil, but the first season, the writing was uneven. It's going to be very violent and dark in the second season. we got to get to know people, and that's the thing. The main character is good and bad in this series. You really get to know them. Here we go. She made a guy case all. Boom. <laughs> Breaks the door. That's great. That's the main thing that Jessica Jones does with her superpowers. Just break doors. Here we go. She's serving the summons. Not particularly subtle, as we'll see later in the series. She tries to help out... Uh, Carrie on Maz's character to serve a divorce papers to her, her her estranged wife. Oh, this is great. So, you know, just like with Cap, whose powers appear to be increasing with each movie, uh, JJ seems to be more powerful at some times than others. But, you know, that's comic books. You gotta do it. You don't think she's gonna be able to hold a car? So she, her looks are, are very in the Anne Hathaway school of looks. Whoop! Stop the car. She does actually mention that she can stop slow-moving cars later. <laughs> is she lifting it now? Oh, this is great. Yeah, she just looks like Anne Hathaway's more disturbed uh, younger sister. And she knows that other people are going to make connections between her and the Avengers and the other, you know, rumored superheroes. <laughs> she slams the door like five times. <laughs> yeah. People like you who give people like you a bad name. Oh, here we go. This is the mission statement. No. Here we go. Do I look like I'm hiding? No. Exactly. She doesn't give a fuck. No one wants to know. They want to feel safe. Yep. No one will believe them. <laughs> Laser eyes. I think it's a Cyclops reference. So the Cyclops not, is not the only one who can do the laser eyes. Superman, I suppose. Here, Sherry. Here's the super gigantic phone. Laser eyes, moron. I'm in right now, you know. I mean, you know, we're like uh, less than 20 minutes. <laughs> we're less than 20 minutes in. She's been wasted twice. She's solving crime, telling people to go fuck themselves. Oh, here it is, right here. This is so disturbing. The lick. And when you see this for the first time, you're going, oh my God, I can't believe the series is going to be about that. We're going to see this dude licking her face. Nope, they only do it once, but it's absolutely horrifying. And when you meet him a few episodes from now, this is still in your head. Yep, here it is, her little therapeutic technique here. God, the this show is so uber-feminist in, in the most positive ways possible, you know. Here is this incredibly strong, independent, you know, feisty, um, self-empowered woman, or trying to be self-empowered, and yet at the same time she's going through post-rape trauma, essentially, by being mind controlled by this rapist. <laughs> oh, 
Hogarth. Uh, it's a great name for the the semi-evil lawyer. Carrie Moss, Hogarth. Lifted this guy overhead, quote, and threatened him with your laser eyes. <laughs> right, yeah. This is uh, uh, this is what we call foreshadowing to, to the divorce paper situation later. Hey, Carrie Moss going lesbian, doing pretty good for herself. Her secretary is a uh, a beautiful lady. Here we go. I wish I could have been here. Was that a compliment? I'll notify payroll. Some people weren't quite sure where Carrie Ann Moss fit in the series, but if you really watch every episode, you need characters like this to be on the fringes that you're not sure are going to be important and then play very important roles in certain episodes. But they're also important in terms of character development of the lead character. You know, Hogarth has an you know motherly slash older sister vibe with Jessica Jones. I think we're going to see more of that going forward. I hope so. Certainly hope so. The shadow. The filming's amazing. The filming in this movie is just ridiculous. Here she goes. She's attracted to Luke Cage. She's going to the bar. Got the graffiti. I mean, they film all of these shows. Daredevil, Jessica Jones. Now they're filming Luke Cage. As of early February 2016. She can't help herself. And for her to be attracted to someone like Luke Cage, forget race and all that sort of stuff. It makes absolute sense. He's a very large, strong, you know, confident, but also sensitive guy. I mean, that's exactly what she needs. Someone that she can't break, and he needs someone that he can't break. And, you know, that's part of the attraction. And so here begins the... When, okay, here we go. When does Luke start being under the spell of Kilgrave? Is Kilgrave manipulating Luke from right now? And if you've seen the series and if you're listening to this podcast, I think that you're probably thinking the same thing, you know? I'm trying to put it together of when's Luke, you know, when is Luke really being Luke and when is Luke under Kilgrave's spell? You're local, you're hot, drinking alone, tends to attract customers. The dialogue in this series is fantastic. Brilliant writing. Melissa Rosenberg and the whole team. You know, they have different directors, different writers, but it all is of a piece. Everyone just got her character. Brian Michael Bendis. God bless him. Part of the Marvel renaissance of the last 15 years. He invented, basically, this version of Jessica Jones the alias version of Jessica Jones in the comic books, and is one of the lead producers on the show because of it. She just wants to drink for free, because she can drink forever. And as someone who's Jewish, but I think has Irish blood in me, um, you know, it's always nice to get a free drink. (laughs) Whatever it takes. I got regulars. Yeah, Luke likes her immediately. She's physically attracted to him, for sure. Um, 
but her lack of commitment is made more complicated as we learn later that he had been controlled by Kilgrave. Again, I don't think quite yet here, but definitely before we see him a few episodes down, when he tries to reinitiate contact, he's being controlled or manipulated by Kilgrave. Wait, what you put on the table there? A PI. You know, booze costs money, usually. <laughs> I love Kristen Ritter. She's in the Claire Danes category for me, though, for sure. Even after just one season. Just a badass chick I totally respect and like and am attracted to. You know, be- mainly because of her personality, you know. She's disturbed. She's complicated. She's smart. She's twisted. Has a good heart deep, deep, deep down. But... Right, she stands in dark alleys and takes pictures of people. But, yeah, I'm attracted to disturbed ch- <laughs> chicks. <laughs> there you go, Bizzlecast listeners. There you go. Light the Twitter sphere of fire if you want to. You got my blessing. I like crazy girls. I really prefer her look here. I know people who love her with the bangs being very, like, tattoo-y and gothy and so forth, and uh, it it Breaking Bad, and I do love Jane Margulis, but this is the look. The hair swept back. See her forehead. She's got, you know, the leather jacket and the scarf and the jeans and the boots. I mean, that's my perfect look for for a lady. All cool girls look good in that outfit, you know? I love that that's her superhero outfit. I hope they never give her a real superhero outfit. You see, that's, that, that, that's, her, that's her uniform. Leather jacket, scarf, and jeans. Oh, here we go. I just say what I want. They're going to have sex. And what do you want, says Luke Cage. She looks at him. Boom, boom. This was great. You never see this in Marvel. We've never had a hardcore sex scene in any Marvel property ever. And they did this at least twice, maybe three times throughout the series. Right. Oh, here it is. You won't break. He says, I, you know, you will. She says, I won't break. He says, you will. Which is racially saying some interesting things even though they're talking about superpowers but because they don't know that they're both talking about superpowers so i think they sense it i have a theory that whether it's mutants or other or otherwise super powered people can sense each other uh in close proximity and this is very close proximity okay now he's fucking her from behind from on top this is unbelievable <laughs> and now they're just sweaty and lying there <laughs> Oh, this is great. This is so good. <sighs> this is my favorite Marvel property. I mean, Cap has become my favorite uh, um, sort of mainstream Marvel superhero, even though I didn't give two shits about Captain America growing up. Uh, now I love Cap because of Chris Evans and what they've done with him. But in terms of making it you know, relatable to reality and the traumas that we all go through and the struggles that we go through... She's by far the most relatable character. She's so openly flawed, but so clearly has a good heart, you know, that even the people who are fucking with her can tell. She looks, this is great, she looks in the uh, 
the Madison Cabinet is a very Homeland move. And there's a lot of Homeland influences on the show with the jazz music um, and just sort of the, the, you know, brilliant mania of the lead female character um, who is the smartest person, you know, around, but is disturbed to the point of being on edge at all times. Oh, she saw a picture there. See, this is the thing. I needed to watch this series twice before I totally got it. So she goes to his place, which is above the bar. They fuck. You know, that went great. Looks in the closet, sees a picture. They don't tell you who the picture is of. We learn that that's a picture of a woman that she killed on Kilgrave's, you know, um, <laughs> impossible to resist request, mind control, to kill her. We see the connection later. Hard to know when she puts it together if it was just there. Oh, she just threw up, yeah. Just saw the picture put together that Luke was the the husband of um ah, what's her name? Who she was forced to kill. But as we find out much later, her being forced to kill that woman actually helps her turn a corner that she's not going to know about for a while. And that's going to turn the tide of this entire battle. But we got a long way before we get there. Assholes. Yeah. <laughs> the twins. <laughs> it's like a twisted version of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Oh, Hope's mom. A long night researching your case. Yeah. It's a thing. You know, you keep expecting her to be bad at her job, but... But she's not. She puts her mind to it. She's brilliant. And that's the thing people don't realize about Cap. It's not just that Cap took the super serum. It's that he was the most moral and ethical and good-hearted guy they had... As weak as he looked physically, he's exactly the guy you give the super serum to, you know. And, and Jessica's coming to it in a much different way. There's Trish talk, her best friend Trish. They do a great job of of putting it in your face, and you know, and she's beautiful. Trish is, but uh, you don't expect that relationship to develop quite as it does. Elizabeth Street, that is in the. I don't know. West Village, perhaps? Oh, this is it. It's the restaurant. Yeah, Kilgrave. Even though it's a different restaurant, it's the same geographical space. And so he keeps bringing girls here. And this is Kilgrave's weakness, his habit. You know, he latches on to certain things. That's the thing. With with Kilgrave's power, he could easily take over the country. He doesn't want that. Um, he just wants to control women that are under his power, but he, you know, keeps coming back to certain places. Here we go. Up oh, shows the picture of Hope. Mm-hmm. More trouble. Uh-oh. She was here last Tuesday. And this is it. This guy right here has to sell Kilgrave. This is it, the mind control. This is the first full description of his mind control abilities that we get. There's a couple seated there. 
but I lost my mind or something. I told them to leave. She already can tell. She can smell it. She can smell Kilgrave. She's reliving her past. And this is what's great. As horrifying as her past is, as being a sex slave of, um, of Kilgrave, it helps her solve not just this mystery, but the overall you know, the mystery of the series, uh, of the season. It's brilliant. Everything's personal, but she's helping other people. Here it is. So they tease Kilgrave uh, for the first, then smile. Oh, God, the smiling thing is so horrifying. They tease Kilgrave for the first few episodes before we see him. You're not even sure we're ever going to see him as a character, but goddamn, does that turn out to be not the case. This music is brilliant, you know? You've got the P.I. 50s noir jazz music, and you got this. David Tennant is the uh, very Shakespearean, highly, highly skilled actor who plays Kilgrave, her former tormentor, who she's coming across again. Great camera work. Oh, here it is. Right. Right. Who referred you? It wasn't a policeman. Alright, so Kilgrave is waiting at the station, waiting for them to file a complaint about their missing daughter, who he had kidnapped, and so he referred them to Jessica Jones to solve the crime, to bring Jess back out into the open. And this whole series, this whole season, is psychological warfare between Jessica Jones and Kilgrave and David Tennant. She's already trying to leave the country. That's how horrified and, and, or I should say terrified she is. And she has all these physical superpowers, but it's just for stopping things that get in her way. Like doors or gates or walls or whatever. But, it, it you know, it's her burgeoning psychological control, which comes slowly... And then short spurts, uh, but she does make radical jumps as the series goes along that eventually allows her to solve this case. She's asking Carrie Ann Moss for a loan. I don't have any goddamn friends. I'm shocked. She's great. Uh oh, uh, 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 ex wife. I totally get why people thought that this side story was excessive, but I, I think Hogarth, played by Carrie Ann Moss, is a very critical um, character as both a lawyer and her personal connection, which is strained, but there is some respect there between her and Jessica. By the way, going forward, I might just refer to her as JJ as opposed to Jessica. My name is Jesse. I've gotten a lot of, oh, is Jesse the male form of Jessica? No. Jessica is the male form. I'm sorry. Jessica is the female form of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. 
Oh, here we go with Malcolm. Why is he always in the elevator with her? Takes her a few episodes to put it together. But he is connected. And the way they connect her friends and people in the building with the larger, you know, conspiracy going on, the larger battle going on is brilliant. <laughs> I stole it. <laughs> but this is what makes Hell's Kitchen feel like Hell's Kitchen. There is a community there and people run across each other. Here's Trish. What a beauty. She's Australian. Flawless American accent. She is excellent. One of the best sidekicks. She wants to kick ass. Apparently she may turn she might turn out to be a superhero, according to Marvel. Um she's certainly training. They make that a big part of it. Trish Walker, played by Rachel Taylor from Australia. <laughs> the Asian woman's always eating stuff. Absolutely kills it in this show. And she humanizes Jessica. She's the one person that Jessica trusts and loves. And they've clearly been alienated. And what I love is there's some strain through the first few episodes. But you can tell that neither of them want it. And once they figure out how to connect and really communicate and trust each other, Trish is you know literally willing to put her life on the line to help Jessica. She wants Jessica to be a superhero. She had tried before. She wants her to keep trying. Trish is the is the famous, beautiful, rich one, but she admires Jessica Jones. That's who she loves and admires. As for her case. Rachel Taylor. Yeah, these two are a beautiful couple. Nope, she never called. It, yeah, it's weird to watch these early episodes now because they're so tight for the second, like, two-thirds of the season. And you just, you, you know, you just want them to get together so bad and be teammates. Six months. There we go. And we hear about how Jessica was adopted later and they grew up together. Rachel Taylor, flawless American accent, a huge, huge points. I had no idea until I looked her up. She seems like such an American, American chick. Oh, uh, PTSD. Right. And we learned how Kilgrave survived. Well, we learned how he supposedly died, and then we learned how he supposedly survived. Right, reciting street names, they're laying it all out. The exposition in this episode, it just flows like, you know, a a waterfall of of smooth rocks. You know, it it never grates. It it just, you know, just enters into your consciousness as you're learning about these characters. Piece of information, some you get, some you don't, but the performances is what sell it, and that's the important thing. Uh, The one-month anniversary night, yeah. Yep, here it is. Right, Laundry, the gift restaurant. This is what makes Kilgrave a truly frightening villain. (laughs) Unlike the Red Skull or Alexander Pierce or anyone involved in Hydra or Ultron, they're not, you know, he's not trying to take over the world. Uh, She just said, you know what he made me do. And that's the thing. You think they're not going to say the R word in terms of rape in the show. And eventually they do. They confront it head on that he was raping these women by controlling them. 
Trish is already trying to protect her. They have great chemistry. You rarely see this between two young lead characters in a property like this, male or female, black, white, whatever. These two really love each other. It's an amazing relationship. Have to think they get along off screen. I'm a big believer in that, and Marvel's great at that. Team players, you know? I mean, people love Daredevil because in the comics, he's kind of a big character. He's sort of the ultimate street level. Other than Spider-Man, the street, you know, Daredevil's the, the primary street level. Um, you know, kind of fighting, you know, no superhero powers kind of thing character. And the first season was very good, but before I could get through the first season of Daredevil, I got through this entire season, and maybe twice, and then went back and watched Daredevil and loved it. I'm very excited for it to come out. I'm probably releasing these commentaries in an effort to build up to the new Daredevil season because i think it's gonna be great but this to me is just like captain america the winter soldier transcended uh you know the superhero genre jessica jones absolutely transcends the superhero genre you know if anything her superpowers just allow the plot to move forward more quickly in some places where she just needs to get into a room or jump up into a building or something that's it she almost never uses it you know, there's two amazing fight scenes in this whole series. The first one, oh, Miss Jones, they know who she is. Oh, God, this is so scary. Staying with us again. Here, oh, no, she finds hope. This is so horrifying. Okay, people, so there's about ten minutes left in this first episode, and you're going, okay, I'm with Jessica, I'm learning about these characters... I get that there's like a weird mind control rapist. How did she find this hotel? You know, they've got the bubbling, you know, Matrix fisheye lens thing going there. She knows she's in the room, and boom. And we learn later there's numerous reasons why this was a good strategy. But one of the good parts of the strategy was to create noise so loud that if she runs into Kilgrave, it will make it more difficult for him to use his voice to mind control her. She's having flashes. I mean, there's so much about like a rape victim, uh, you know, history going on in this episode and in this whole series. Marvel to take it on in this kind of property and still have it be such an empowered character. It's really inspiring to everybody, you know. We've all been abused in various ways, you know, intentionally or unintentionally by other people in different ways. We've been mistreated. We've been violated. You know, hopefully not badly for most of you out there, but, you know, no one escapes this life unscathed. She's walking through the room. You got the blue-black and then the orange... Very marvelly. And what's great is you think these, you know, sort of like, you know, creepy, like, rape stalker visions are going to just keep going on throughout the series. But what happens is we stop having the visions because we finally get Kilgrave 
constantly up in her grill. And this is it. This is the confirmation of all her fears. Hope. Lying in bed. Where's Kilgrave? Jessica doesn't think far enough here. She just thinks about saving Hope. She doesn't realize what might be going on in Hope's head. She doesn't realize what might be going on in Hope's head. Five hours and 21 minutes. She can't move. This is great. This young woman is such an excellent actress. Other than having a great look and just being super charismatic, she can't move. And when she's she's about to start screaming in a minute about being unable to move. Her name is Erin Moriarty, Hope Schlotman. Very young actress, very talented. Here we go. I wet the bed because I can't move. Erin Moriarty is about 20 when she's filming this. No joke. Oh, uh, here we go. No. God, she's good. Look at her. The relationship between these two and throughout the series is really one of the m- many threads, but one of the more important ones that sustains the connection. Jessica, everything Jessica does from now until mostly the end of the series, or really the end of the series, is because of this girl, or on behalf of this girl. Yeah, this is great. He's carrying her around. I wonder what Jessica... Uh, I'm sorry. I wonder what Kristen Ritter is ca- is uh, carrying right there. That's not Hope Schlotman. I love this. No, let me go. She's holding on, grappling on. And the brilliant thing... And we'll revisit this throughout the series. But the brilliant thing about Kilgrave's... Mind control is that when he tells people to do something, they do it, and half of them really wants to do it, and half of them really doesn't. And so, here it is. I didn't want to do it, but I wanted to. That sums it up, exactly. Half of them wants to do it, half of them doesn't, and they do it anyways. And she's already been programmed for what's coming up in a couple minutes here, but she's not saying anything because she can't. Jessica thinks she's freed her. A little too easy. All right, she's passing on the street thing from from, uh, growing up in childhood. God, is she good. Aaron Moriarty. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't know. I know. I know. And she can see it. Hope can see it in Jessica's eyes right now. She's gone through it. Right, none of it is my fault. There's therapy. There's rape survival. There's sexual, um, you know, domination survival. Rebuilding your confidence and integrity. They're making a connection here. Yeah. So we got five minutes left, and she solved the case, or so it seems. You're getting the hell out of New York City. 
So, you know, it's not exactly the first Homeland episode, you know, season one, episode one, you see of my life, but the amount of character introduction and launching the plot based on what Hope is about to do here coming up or, you know, be compelled to do is masterful and, uh, you know, I don't think it's lost on people that this show should not have done nearly as well as Daredevil based on traditional superhero demographics. Here, Oh my god, this is so horrifying. I mean, I was hooked from the first episode. Some people take a few episodes. You know something's happening. You don't know what. Jessica has a bad feeling. Slow motion. Hope looks at Jessica. Gives her a little frown. Pulls out a gun. Boom. Shoots her parents. Oh my god. Ugh. And what's great is this scene will be repeated in a different place with different people, but involving parents and kids later in the series. Ugh. Hope kills her parents. Here we go. Gun clicking. You're right. She like a zombie. Oh, look at that smile. Smile. Right. And, and Kilgrave told her not just to kill her parents and not tell Jessica that she was going to kill her parents, but that when it happened, to tell Jessica to smile. This is the best mind control ever. Haven't even met Kilgrave. She's about to lose it here. Oh my god. But it's not gratuitous when you see the series. I mean, it's not even gratuitous if you watch this episode. And this is it. This is the hero's journey. And what's great. She's tried to be a superhero in the past. We learned that later. She gave that up. She's an alcoholic. She's very disturbed. She's gone through some, you know, really just terrifying and, um, you know... violating experiences here we go gotta make a decision one keep denying it two do something about it boom i got chills people Kristen ritter she's saying fuck you Kilgrave. i'm not i'm not letting this go she walks back in towards hope boom oh what a great fucking pilot. God damn. That is just perfect writing. You know, you got to stay a few episodes to get with Trish as her best buddy. I don't think it takes more than one, actually. I think by the end of this next, we're pretty much on board that, that, that Trish wants to be a willing, you know, loving, supportive sidekick of, uh, of Jessica's. You know, Kristen Ritter just owns it. The writing's brilliant. The music and the filming, the lighting. I mean, it's so professional, but it's so unpretentious. This is the comic book property for people who don't like comic books. I know tons of people who have watched and loved this. I'm thrilled to have done the first episode. I'm sorry if I'm babbling. I'm really a huge fan of what they've done here in the whole team from top to bottom. And I will see you for future episodes. Biz love.